coming up this evening on NTD Business. Russian President Vladimir Putin pushing back against Western sanctions. He says unfriendly countries will have to start buying Russian energy with rubles. A former SEC chair speaking out against the new climate proposal. He says the SEC is overstepping its authority. Cryptocurrency is coming to the next FIFA World Cup, but cryptos still banned in the host country. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Russia's President Vladimir Putin said today he wants, quote, unfriendly countries to start paying for Russian energy using Russian rubles. It's a bid to strengthen the ruble, which has fallen in value since Russia invaded Ukraine. But in today's announcement, Putin put the blame on Western countries. A few weeks, there were unlawful measures taken against Russia by a number of Western countries to freeze Russian assets. By doing this, the collective West has undermined the reliability of their currencies. He says the U.S. dollar and euro have been, quote, compromised by sanctions on Russia's central bank reserves. The West has frozen half of Russia's total foreign exchange reserves. Russia's list of unfriendly countries includes the U.S., Canada, members of the EU, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, as well as Ukraine. Putin says all energy contracts and prices will still be honored. It's just buyers will have to pay in rubles instead. This would increase the demand for rubles in the international market and help push the price up. And indeed, following Putin's remarks today, the ruble strengthened by around 7% against the U.S. dollar. A strengthening ruble could be good news for the country's stock market. It's reopening tomorrow after shutting down more than a month ago. The day Russia invaded Ukraine, stocks fell a massive 33%. Authorities are afraid they could fall again tomorrow, so they put some rules in place. Foreign investors aren't allowed to sell. Keep in mind, foreigners own about three-quarters of the exchange's market cap. Also, Russia's sovereign wealth fund was ordered to buy shares as they fell last month. It's unclear if it'll step in again if things go south this time. Of the exchanges, 50 benchmark stocks she will be able to trade 33, so let's see what happens tomorrow. Europe is already bracing itself for winter. Soaring gas prices and a pledge to reduce its reliance on Russian energy have authorities feeling the heat to keep out the cold. Europeans import 90% of the gas they use to heat their homes, cook their food, and power their industry. 40% of that comes from Russia. Now, as tensions with Russia escalate, Europe wants to make sure foreign interests can't take advantage of the bloc's energy dependence come wintertime. Russia's Gazprom, a semi-state-owned gas provider, controls several gas storage facilities in Germany. The EU is now requiring all storage facilities to be filled to 80 percent. doesn't want foreign players to be able to manipulate storage levels and prices during a time of high demand like the winter. But topping up reserves right now while gas prices are so high could mean consumers get slapped with a bigger bill in the future. To help, the EU is now planning to import energy together as one big block instead of individual countries. That could help it negotiate better prices. European countries are taking in massive numbers of Ukrainian refugees. More people have left Ukraine in just one month 
and left Syria throughout 2015. In fact, it's the biggest movement of people since World War II. Anthony's fake quarter has more. Over 3.5 million Ukrainians have left their home country. Most are going to Europe, entering countries like Poland, Romania, Germany, France, and Spain. Poland has received the most, with over 2 million. People are being killed day and night. They're shooting with everything they have. There's almost no one left in Kharkiv. There's no electricity, water. The city is almost empty. The EU has let Ukrainians live anywhere in its 27 countries for at least a year, and it's setting aside billions of dollars to these countries for housing, medical care, school, and other types of help. Airplanes, trains, and buses are giving Ukrainians free rides. People come to Europe, usually they have only, you know, two bags and nothing with them. And it's usually women and children, so they cannot even get right away into the workforce and provide for themselves. Roman Cherometa is the founding director of American University Kyiv and an economist who left Ukraine one day before the invasion. Cherometa says it may cost up to $30 billion to support Ukrainian refugees in the long run, but that the influx could also benefit Europe. The refugees uh, from Ukraine is actually is a negative thing, huge negative thing for Ukraine, but it can actually bring a positive uh, uh, impact on the European economy in the long run because the GDP is produced by using people, by using labor, and labor has been in shortage in a lot of European countries. Mark Lowcock is the former United Nations Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and the author of Relief Chief, a manifesto for saving lives in dire times. Lowcock says it's impossible to know the long-term impact. It depends more than anything else on how the war plays out, whether um, it continues in the, you know, in the very bloody way it's being perpetrated at the moment, whether at some point there is a calming down. Refugee authorities estimate around 7 million out of Ukraine's total population of over 40 million could leave their home country. More are expected if Russia attacks another major city. Bay Quarter, NTD News. And U.S. stocks ended sharply lower today as Western leaders started gathering in Brussels to plan more sanctions against Russia. The Dow fell 449 points, one and three tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 lost 55 points, one and two tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 186 points, one and three tenths of a percent. Oil prices jumped 5% to over $120 a barrel today. U.S. natural gas futures edged up to a seven-week high. And the SEC is facing criticism for asking big companies to disclose their CO2 emissions. The criticism is coming from one of their own, former SEC chair Jay Clayton. He says it's not the SEC's place to make climate policy. Here he is with CNBC. We don't have a set climate policy in this country. We don't have carbon neutral 2050 or something else as a, as a climate policy. And so what the SEC is doing here is, in essence, assuming a climate policy, because it's picking which metrics are important and which ones aren't. And you can't do that unless you assume what the climate policy is. That's not the SEC's role. Under the proposed new rule, publicly listed companies would have to report their greenhouse gas emissions. The SEC says this would simply help investors understand the company's impact on the environment. The agency says it's not advocating for climate goals. Whatever goals and targets a company sets will still be up to them. 
but it could open the businesses up to targeting by climate advocates or governments. A major Dutch bank announced today it will no longer fund new oil and gas projects, citing decarbonization goals. And 2021 was a decent year on Wall Street. Bonuses topped nearly $260,000 on average, up 20% from a year ago. It's according to the New York State Comptroller. Goldman Sachs, for instance, says it set aside $18 billion for total compensation last year, up 33%. Employees, nearly 44,000 of them, were paid $400,000 on average. That includes wages and bonuses. Comptroller says the high bonuses are thanks to Wall Street's big profits. The payouts are obviously good news for those working on Wall Street, but it's also good news for the government's coffers, so much so the city might collect more income taxes than it previously expected. Los Angeles became the top seller of homes priced at over $10 million in 2021, making it a luxury hotspot for wealthy buyers to compete in bidding wars. Today's Andrew Thomas reports. The Los Angeles luxury housing market is booming. 2021 sales in Southern California reached all-time highs. Now, demand is outpacing supply. The region attracts many buyers who often buy cash and without contingencies. From 2020 to 2021, there has been a 100% increase in sales volume, which is unheard of. And right now, we are number one in the United States for luxury sales over $10 million. Los Angeles has 27% of that market. Experts say prices keep increasing and many buyers want to change their living space due to the pandemic and desire the Californian lifestyle. There are a combination of factors that are causing this. The first being remote work. The mobility. People are able to live wherever they want today. And where do they want to live? In Los Angeles, with the sunshine and the beaches and the mountains. Trina Venet is the seller of this property valued at $29 million. For that price, the buyer will get 7.5 acres, as well as an almost 13,000 square foot house with nine bedrooms and 11 bathrooms. We've had uh, strong offers on our house and we've had a bidding war and uh, it came in over our asking price, which was surprising to us. And I think that happened because people are looking for properties that are unique. Nancy Mishkin eventually won a bidding war. Her family has bought nine luxury houses in the Los Angeles area over the last 45 years. She says it's never been like this. It used to be where you bought a house and they, uh, they asked a certain amount of money and you put in an offer and then they, came, they countered you and then it didn't take long and you agreed on a price. It's different today. Today there's a price on the house, but I'm finding people are paying a half a million to 750000 more than the asking price. Experts say the market is expected to remain strong through the first two quarters of 2022 because of current inflation and interest rates that remain low, though many say they expect the California market to stay competitive for much longer. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Across the U.S., sales of new single-family homes fell in February amid rising mortgage rates and higher home prices. Home sales fell at 2% over the month in February and 6.2% over the year. Experts blame rising mortgage rates. The benchmark 30-year fixed-rate mortgage hit a three-year high of 4.5% last week. That's taking its toll on loan demand. Applications for home loans fell 8.1% last week, 
Mortgage refinance applications fell even more sharply. They're down 14% over the week and 54% over the year. Experts say home sales are likely to trend lower over the next few months, but unless mortgage rates spike or the economy falls off a cliff, the drop in new home sales should be modest, they say. Joining us to discuss housing is a top real estate broker in the red-hot Florida market. We have Jeff Musgrave of the Musgrave Group. Jeff, as always, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. Jeff, since we last spoke, the Fed has begun raising interest rates. Is this a turning point for the housing market? Uh, there's a lot of speculation that's going to cause uh, that people think it's going to cause buyers to uh, abstain from purchasing until they see how it pans out. Uh, not exactly what we're seeing here in the Central Florida market at all. We're still seeing. Uh, multiple offer situations on almost every home that's priced accordingly, uh, bidding wars and uh, appraisal gaps, and it's just not what we're seeing yet. What do you think it's going to take? I know lots of people are looking to buy their first home or whatever. Yes, so uh, it's still a little difficult to see how much of these price increases are going to be your annual increase in value uh, just on an upward market uh, compared to how much of that is inflation and how much of that is caused by this supply and demand uh, being out of whack. Uh, so we're still waiting to see how that kind of plays out, but I really think we're going to see a strong summer. Uh, Typically throughout uh, Thanksgiving through the New Year's, you see the market really slow down. And over the last three years, that just hasn't been the case. Uh, so I think with you know some of the political things coming up uh, over the holidays this year, I think we might see a lot of buyers start to slow down more, more typical of those months. Um, but I don't see uh, with how out of whack the supply and demand is, I really don't see how the market can just come to a standstill um, just because of a little bit of uh, hikes in interest rates. With mortgage rates rising, is it going to, obviously, it's more expensive to, to get a loan. Is it going to be harder for people as well? So who it's really going to squeeze are those people that are very tight on their debt to income ratios. So a lot of times, uh, more of your first time home buyers, um, uh, those uh, that may have a lot of dependents, um, those who are uh, needing more space uh, that maybe have to stay closer to some of your higher dollar areas due to their job or may not be able to work remotely. So it's going to squeeze them in terms of their monthly payment will be higher. And so if they were right on the border of qualifying, it's going to now eliminate them from getting the home that they want, unfortunately. How about new homes? Are they still being held up with supply shortages, et cetera? They are. We just actually, uh, one of our agents, uh, Jordan, uh, he handles more of our higher end uh, clients. Uh, he actually, to lock up a bidding war on a brand new construction home, uh, our client had to put $350,000 in cash in escrow from day one just to win the bid on this new construction home because you're seeing the same kind of demand on new construction that you are in resales. So, When is that new home going to be completed? And that's not going to be completed for another seven, eight months. So, This kind of characteristic of the market at the moment for new homes? Uh, it's characteristic of there being uh, some builders are essentially just putting these homes on the market and creating a, a, a bidding opportunity where everyone just bids on the new home. Uh, so we're not in any type of historical normalcy here. Uh, but uh, with this individual, like putting that much in escrow, they were thankfully they were in a position to be able to do that. Uh, but that is not normal at all. And it's not even normal for that to be uh, an escrow of that size to be incorporated into a contract unless you get into the higher, you know, the really higher dollar amount uh, sales. So. Do you see any threats to the housing market right now? 
I, I don't see a whole lot of threats here in Florida. As I said, um, everybody's moving here. We were just named the hottest real estate market in the country. Everybody is flocking, especially to central Florida, uh, specifically the Tampa Metro, Tampa St. Petersburg Metro. So I don't see how on a macroeconomic scale, uh, something in the U.S. that may happen could slow down some of the markets throughout the U.S. But I think where we're positioned in the market right now, I think we'll be the last person to feel those effects. So I don't think in the short term we're going to see anything really derail the market here, locally at least. In a word, Jeff, are we still seeing BlackRock and other institutional players as active in the market? Uh, I am not actually seeing. We're not seeing a, a lot of these larger investment firms um, buying everything up. What we are seeing is a lot of smaller investors, uh, you know, that may own between, you know, zero and 100 doors, uh, you know, type mom and pop type investors. Uh, they're looking to get their hands on everything that they can. I, I feel like the word is now officially out when, you know, Zillow dropped the bomb that they, their data said we're the number one market in the country. I think that word has trickled out to everybody. Everybody's prepared themselves over the last few months and everybody just wants their piece of the pie now in Tampa. So we're seeing past clients, new clients, investors just come out of the woodwork and say, hey, these are our criteria. We want to buy anything that you can find us within this criteria. And there's a lot of them that are coming coming around. So uh, everyone's trying to get their piece of Tampa right now. It's good business to be in, Jeff. Jeff Musgrave, Musgrave Group. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Have a good day. And the bank for central banks is one step closer to developing a platform that makes international payments faster. Cross-border payments are usually much slower than domestic ones since they need to pass through several banks. There's also the issue of converting currencies. Now, the Bank of International Settlements says with its new platform, entities can directly hold an exchange in central bank digital currencies. That means they don't need multiple banks as intermediaries. BIS is working together with several banks in Malaysia, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore in the project. Next... They're going to review the regulatory frameworks and test it out on a large scale. We'll keep you updated. And the Australian government wants to make crypto a safer investment for everyone. It's now planning to approve and start regulating some cryptocurrency platforms. It comes after Australians' trust in crypto sank last year. After two Australian crypto firms, including My Crypto Wallet, collapsed, losing millions of dollars in customer funds. One of the largest crypto exchanges in Australia, SwiftX, says that out of the hundreds of exchanges currently in Australia, they only expect a couple dozen to remain, to remain after regulations take effect. In November, the largest bank in Australia, Commonwealth, became the first and only Australian bank to allow customers to buy and sell crypto. And at the FIFA World Cup later this year, besides watching their favorite soccer team is battle it out of the field, Fans will notice a newcomer to the arena, cryptocurrency. Denise Phil Zoe has the story. Cryptocurrency is coming to the FIFA World Cup 2022, where fans will notice Crypto.com marketing inside and around the soccer stadium. What better way than to tap into the most popular sport globally? FIFA always welcomes any sort of uh, sponsors. I spoke to marketing expert Michael Cruz. He's head of content at creative firm Summer Friday. He says Crypto.com sponsoring the biggest soccer match was no surprise, a genius marketing move. So their partnership with the Australian Football League and their investment in Formula One and UFC, I mean, this just seems like the next move, in my opinion. It's brilliant. 
But interestingly, crypto is currently banned in Qatar, where the World Cup is to be held later this year. What's more bold than to enter a space that you're not welcome in? Daniel Lagvin is a blockchain developer and the CEO of crypto firm Ledgerbyte. I'm pretty sure that Qatar is researching cryptocurrencies and they're really trying to find the best ways possible for companies and banks to use it. Logvin remains positive about crypto, especially in the sports industry. Soccer World Cups, it's tremendous. We can even reach a billion uh, viewers for certain matches, especially the finals. FIFA reported that over 3.5 billion people tuned in to the last World Cup in Russia in 2018. This year's match starts in less than eight months in Qatar this November. Phil Zoe, NTD News. And more signs of trouble in the Chinese property sector. Another cash-strapped Chinese real estate developer is delaying release of its earnings. It's supposed to release them by the end of this month. But Kaiser Group said yesterday that a virus lockdown in Shenzhen left audit work incomplete. So it just can't publish its financial results on time. It said in a filing that trading of its shares in Hong Kong would be suspended starting April 1st as a result. In addition to Kaisa, China's Evergrande Group, the world's most indebted property developer, said yesterday it would also not be able to publish results on time. So to come this evening, stay with us. Honda unveiling a wind tunnel in Ohio to test electric cars wants to know how noises like wind affect the driving experience. One veteran in Chicago turned his passion into a business. Now he's giving back to the veteran community. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. And Japanese car maker Honda is unveiling a $120 million wind tunnel in Ohio. They're going to use it to measure the wind noises of electric vehicles and how they affect the driving experience. Anthony's Olin Richards takes a look. Electric vehicles don't have much engine noise, but other sounds like tire noise and wind become more apparent. Honda's new Automotive Laboratories of Ohio, or HALO, facility intends to find out how these noises will affect the driving experience for passengers. This facility, in tandem working with our scale wind tunnel, now gives the engineers the, all the tools, all the best tools, to exercise all of the details of the car we need to optimize everything as, as best we possibly can. The wind tunnel can generate wind speeds of more than 190 miles per hour. It's equipped with a five-belt rolling road system designed for vehicle development. There's also a second single wide-belt system to test sports cars and race vehicles. More than 500 microphones are used to measure magnitude and detect exactly where sound occurs in the vehicle. So all of those sounds um, uh, we have to deal with in different ways. 
This facility allows us to identify those sounds. We can quickly pinpoint where they're at and why they're happening. The wind tunnel is worth $124 million. Honda is hoping to boost its presence in Ohio. The leader of HALO says the research is mainly about satisfying the customers. And it's really about how that perception is. We want to make sure the customer's happy. When we move to BEVs, now we're no longer going to have the exhaust sound, the engine sound. So the wind noise is become, going to become more apparent and we have to pay more attention to it than ever before. Upon full operation, researchers from other companies will be able to rent out private space to test their own products. We finished this evening with one veteran-owned business in Chicago that's giving back big time. This generosity is now being rewarded with some unexpected success. Introduce Jessica Beatty has the story. Steve Lulofs from the Chicago suburbs likes to barbecue, but he never planned on becoming a grill master until he accidentally won a rib competition and bought something with his accidental winnings. How it actually all started was is I won a March Madness competition and won a few hundred dollars and I was figuring out what do I need to do with the money or you know a couple hundred bucks I might as well just go and spend it so I decided to buy a barbecue smoker. It turned out the smoker coupled with his barbecue sauce made really good food. Lulofs then decided to make his own barbecue sauce and seasoning in his kitchen and sign up for more competitions. When it started, I just went online and uh, researched on how many different recipes, maybe like 10 or so, and um, kind of found the most common ingredients, and then um, kind of just put everything together on what I liked, and that's how I came up with the recipe. Lulofs' kitchen experiment paid off. He kept on winning more competitions, and eventually he turned his hobby into a business in 2017. So here's our original barbecue sauce. Um, this was the first one we started with. We had this one out for about nine months before we moved on to the to our second bo bottle sauce, which is um, our Sweet Heat. Sweet Heat actually, um, a couple years ago, became, they got ranked the number one spicy barbecue sauce in the country. Not only are his products good, but Lulofs is also doing good with his business. When I first started uh, barbecuing and selling sauce, I didn't think I would sell maybe a few hundred bottles a year at the most. And we were like, why not just donate the money? So Lulofs, who served in the Army for eight years, donated his profits to charities benefiting veterans. When the word got out, orders snowballed beyond his kitchen's capacity. To meet the rising demand, Lulofs outsourced the production. The end goal would be to have our own manufacturing facility so we could go ahead and employ veterans and uh, risk at youth, uh, children from inner cities. Lulofs' manufacturer makes about 40,000 bottles a year. They're sold in almost 300 stores across the country and online. So far, he's donated $50,000 and will be donating 50% of his profits this year. The remaining 50% will be reinvested back into the company. The better his business does, the more he can help veterans. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Nice story. As the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, you can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For the business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.